Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted Tuesdays in the off-season and twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeRSE columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan's Huddle, and then give you the latest USC football news. Let's meet today's panelists, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways, in addition to regular season football and basketball reports. He also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC, Mark Culkin, the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney. And a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes the Fridays, The Obvious, Not So Obvious, IMHO Sunday, and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojan Subtle, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle, here's the latest USC football news. The Tommy Group, a new third-party NIL collective for USC athletes, was announced last week, headed by six USC alumni, former athletes, and fans. It's already working with 80 student athletes, which includes the Trojans Heisman Trophy quarterback, Caleb Williams. Among the leadership of the Tommy Group is former USC wide receiver great Keyshawn Johnson, a group co-founder. Among others joining Keyshawn in the Tommy Group leadership format are former Trojan players Alex Holmes and John Terzian, a co-founder of the H. Wood Group, David Strongberg, a well-known entrepreneur, investor, and entertainment strategist. Avi Jessen, a lifelong philanthropist and a graduate of the USC Marshall School of Business, Mike Hahn, co-founder and partner of the Ten Oaks Group. All reports indicate that USC's original athletic arm, the Boulevard, has been shut down, and it was reported last week that the Trojans inside linebacker Eric Gentry underwent ankle surgery, an injury suffered last season at Utah, it's expected that Gentry will be missing spring practice, which begins on Saturday, March 4th. Friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojan Saddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. And we encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber button. That's the red subscriber button. And also the like buttons. It's greatly valued and it's free. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for just $29.99 up to August 31st, 2023, or $9.99 per month. All right, let's get started. We kick off the first and second half of this special edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle with a perspective into the Trojan spring practice. Today we do the offense. Since it is expected as of this week that the media will not be allowed to uh, see full spring practice sessions. I've asked our panelists to predict their expectations for the post-spring offensive chart, depth chart for each position group and their justification for their starters on the specific position groups. Of note, predictions for each position group will be based on only by those players that have participated in spring ball, but panelists can reference those players that will not be participating due to various circumstances. So panel, First, let's begin with the spring quarterback group. Give me your post-spring depth chart. 
and thoughts on this position group. And remember, we're talking about only those players that are expected to fully participate in spring ball. Caleb Williams, Caleb Williams is uh, is is number one on on my my chart. I'm going to get that in before Mark because I, I know you're going to Mark first, but I wanted to be right on one, so I'm going to jump in ahead. You know what's so funny, Eric? While you're doing that, I'm thinking, how can I actually formulate a narrative where Miller Moss jumps the Heisman Trophy winner? There you go. That's it. Break it here. And, and it's well, only that, that was got, excellent. It's I, icebreaker. It's because Caleb got too fat during the offseason. There you go. Um, so let's let's get back on format here, Mark. Since Eric said you were going to go first, and you always do, uh, give us your starter, backup, depth, uh, and of course we should mention uh, missing is expected to be Malachi Nelson, five-star quarterback out of Los Alamitos. He's uh, nursing a shoulder surgery on his non-throwing arm. So, Mark, go ahead, go out on a limb and tell us how you see the depth chart at the end of spring. Yeah. Um, so, Caleb Williams is like really overweight right now. So. Um, no, seriously, it's going to be Caleb Williams. Uh, Miller Moss will be his backup for as long as he wants to be the backup, which I guess is something to watch out of spring camp because everyone anticipates Malachi Nelson will be the heir apparent. Now, all of that said, uh, Malachi isn't even able to, you know, participate with any type of contact. So, Coming out of spring camp, it's going to be Caleb Williams, Miller Moss, Jake Jensen will be the um, backup to the backup, and then Malachi. You know, everyone, I think it's, Eric, do you agree? The intent is for him to redshirt this year anyways. So I'm just going to stay with that out of spring camp and going out of fall camp. Caleb, Miller, Jake Jensen, as long as Miller Moss still wants to be Caleb's backup. All right, Eric McKinney, go out on a limb. Yeah, no, I think that's it. I, I think you you comment, Keegan Patterson and Gage Roy both showed up as, as walk-on true freshmen last year, and, and Keegan Patterson worked a lot with the with the scout team there. So just to mention them, that they came Thank in at a, at a position where they USC needed depth. I mean, they scrambled a little bit and, and were able to bring Jake Jensen in. But uh, no, that's it, right? Caleb is, is one, and the idea is just how good – can he be, can he be like an all time college quarterback talking top two, maybe top one uh, quarterback when he leaves USC. And then, yeah, for, for Miller Moss, you know, he stuck around last year and, and I don't think he got as many snaps as people maybe thought he would at last season. And so that's something to maybe keep in mind. It's a tougher schedule is USC that much better to where there are going to be some blowouts and, and he can maybe play. Of course, we also saw Caleb get dinged a little bit. And if that happens again, then Miller maybe takes over a Ferrari a little bit if, if USC's offense is that good and, and he can play. So I think that's something to watch with him. He's getting to that time. I think a lot of guys, you know, when, once they log two, three years, just based on what they do, you know, when they come in early and what they can do during summer, you can get that degree really quickly now. And that sort of helps. I mean, everybody gets the year free, but as a as a grad transfer, also you have that uh, in your pocket there. So, yeah, something to watch for him. Um, and then Malachi Nelson, the question becomes over the summer and when he can really start going, how quickly 
how quickly does he pick it up? Because if he is your future and you have to turn to that future in 2024, who do you want to see, right? Is, is Miller your guy? Is Malachi your guy? It's, it's a question that's going to be really interesting as you look at that battle, because there is no battle for number one, right? So, so that battle for two, as you go through the year, I think is going to be worth watching. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, no surprise from, uh, from this person here. Um, Caleb Williams, the starter. The question is, is what are we looking at? Uh, is he getting ready to win the Heisman a second time? Is he getting ready to win a national championship? That's going to be in the hands of uh, Lincoln Riley. I think Caleb will be Caleb no matter what. He's a starter. But, you know, he was very fortunate until the very last game, uh, at least uh, the championship game, uh, that he was uh, relatively not injured. And this schedule is tougher. So Miller Moss, to me, has a much higher chance of getting into games uh, because of where we are starting from scratch. Caleb will be a marked man, of course. Uh, I think it's interesting that uh, Marky brought up the Miller Moss. Uh, you seem to kind of, I don't know if you were hinting, maybe that's a, the wrong word for it, that, that Miller could make some decisions after spring ball. Am I reading that right or was I wrong? Well, and Eric alluded to it as well. I mean, at some point, Miller has to say to himself, do I need to take the Kyle Ford route? I know I'm good enough to play at the next level. I need reps. So yeah, yeah. whether I was hinting, implying, wink, winking it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the elephant in the room. I'm not stating anything that nobody else is probably thinking themselves. I mean, Miller's also good enough. If he wants to bet on himself and, and try to compete with Malachi Nelson, Miller will have extra years in the program. And, and in terms of development, I, I don't think it's wild to think that Miller Moss could beat out Malachi Nelson as a second, you know, a second year Malachi Nelson to play quarterback and start as, as the USC quarterback in 2024. I, I don't think that that's crazy. I don't think it's a shoe in. Yeah. Miller's got to go if he wants to play. It's just some, it's something to watch. It's something to watch every player, every player on every roster now. Yeah. They could pick up and go at this point. Starters, backups, whoever it is, you got, you got to have that in mind. Pick a position group that we're going to talk about today. And there's going to be at least one name that is going to be in that category. I will say this. I am intrigued by Jake Jensen. Uh, there's been a lot of good stuff said about him, written about him. Uh, Am I expecting him to be uh, go above Miller Moss? No. Uh, Malachi Nelson, I could see him easily taking a red shirt uh, next year. And I think Miller Moss, if he's patient, I think he could be lining up as a starting quarterback in 2024. But that's where we will see what we will see. All right, remember, Malachi could red shirt. He could play four games and still red shirt. So it's not like if, if you red shirt, you have to sit on the bench and, and we can't see you at all. So you can still... Four games is is a pretty big chunk of time. If if USC ends up in four blowouts and needs to go to the backup, that that might be kind of what you guess based on the schedule. And, yeah, and here's something else: USC opens in Las Vegas in 2024, so that is like a marquee game for your new marquee Lincoln Riley Heisman potential quarterback. And tell the folks, Mark, who they're opening up with? LSU. I don't LSU, think they're going to buy out of that. Game. You think USC is going to pay that game out? Pay that, pay that game off? Get out of it? I doubt it. A little late at this point, too. 
Right. No, no. And that's why I, I also, when, you know, when you brought up the LSU opener in 2024, why it even makes more sense to me of Miller Moss uh, starting. He would have some experience. I don't know if you want to get into that type of national hype game uh, with a freshman quarterback, with all due respect to Malachi Nelson. Uh, but we will see. All right, let's move on to uh, the running backs. Starters, backup, depth. Mark, how do you see it at the end of uh, spring? So I'm going to do uh, what the head coach is going to do. It's going to be Austin Jones or Marshawn Lloyd, um, which I don't know if that's a surprise. It's just a kind of a gut feeling. Backups are going to be Rayleigh Brown. Is Darwin Barlow going to want to, you know, be a backup? And then you got the two freshmen for depth. So until somebody can separate themselves away from Austin Jones, I think he's going to, he's just going to take that, that captaincy from Travis Dye and kind of run with it. He's got the experience that veteran leadership, that locker room presence, and he's pretty good running back too. So uh, when Travis went down last year, USC skipped a little bit as the season went on, but Austin was pretty reliable. And as long as you're not putting the ball on the carpet, the coaching staff is going to be pretty happy with that. Eric, do you agree with uh, with Mark on this one? Yeah, I, I was going to do an or two. I'll say that Marshawn Lloyd ends up as the starter and, and Austin Jones is is number two, just because Mark said it's an or. And, I, and no surprise at all if it ends up being an or. Austin Jones in one year already has kind of that like, lifetime achievement like if Travis Dye had come back right you, yeah he's he's got to be on that top line I think based on what Austin Jones gave you last year but I think Lloyd's upside is is probably higher in terms of athleticism you know short speed long speed all of that kind of stuff I think he gives you I think he gives you more but Austin Jones is as good a, a number two as you could want I, I think Relique is yeah you're number three and I think he spends a bit of time outside. I think he works with the with the running backs, and he is a running back and listed as a running back. But whoever's four below him or whoever's below Relique is is basically up a notch because really he's going to spend so much time kind of at, at a couple different positions. And yeah, Bar Barlow is going to be a guy who probably has a decision to make just based on track record. I from what we've seen, which again has been fairly limited, but he's been here for a couple of years where we we got to see a little bit more of practice with him when he first got to USC and in games too. There's just not a whole lot where you watch him and go, oh, yeah, he's missing this and he can't do this and, and he can't do that. I mean, I know there's, there's been some fumbles and ball security and, and that stuff, but boy, he, he sure seems to deliver when he gets out on the field, the true freshmen are going to be, I think pretty fascinating because those are some big physical guys. And I think that they won't be asked to play this year, but they could be good. And I see uh, Quentin Joyner and, and Amari Peterson being kind of that one-two punch for the future uh, settling in there. So I, I don't see, based on kind of what they look like coming in and, and how the coaches sort of seem to feel about them, that seems like an or there where, wherever they land on the depth chart too. Well, I'll tell you, I'm with you guys. Uh, although I think at the post depth chart, for, uh, I don't know if it would be political correctness, but I see Austin Jones and Marshawn Lloyd as being an or situation. Although I think when they line up for the first game uh, next season, uh, I think that Austin Jones will be the starter. 
And as they say, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And it wouldn't shock me one bit if Marshawn Lloyd uh, ends up being the starter uh, at some point in the season. He looked awfully good in film that I've I've seen him. Uh, and Jones, he, he did well last year in place of uh, uh, Travis. Uh, you know, the thing is, the big, big wild card to me is Rayleigh Brown. What are they going to do with him? Uh, I was a little disappointed last season. They didn't run some fly sweeps with him. Maybe they will this season. But this is going to be critical on how they put Rayleigh Brown in there because I think we agree that Jones and Lloyd uh, are probably going to be the guys that uh, maybe get the bulk of it, but we'll see. I'll be anxious to see what the uh, what the uh, weight of Rayleigh Brown is when he uh, is listed on the spring roster. All right, let's move on to the Trojans receiving core. This is really quite a room of talent, quantity of quality and quality of quantity. Uh, Mark, I don't know, are you going to go with four receivers? Three receivers? How are you going to work it? I'm going the uh, three, 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 three. However many they have until they run out. Um, starting, I got Taj. I got people don't re- you know. I was watching a video earlier today that I was talking to Eric about. Jordan Addison led USC with 59 receptions last year. They're replacing that with 66 receptions with Dorian Singer. So I've got Taj Washington, Dorian Singer, and Brendan Rice. Assuming Brendan Rice is Cotton Bowl Brendan Rice. So those are my three starters. Uh, Backups, Mario Williams, Tyron Hudson, MJ3. And then I'm going to put Zachariah Branch on that line. But again, he's just because he's a true freshman, I'm going with those three guys. Eventually, Zachariah Branch is going to solidify himself either on that back. He's going to be part of the rotation, and that's really all that matters. It's, you know, like you said, Greg, it's not whether you, where you start, it's where you finish. With this group, it doesn't really matter. You've got so much talent. Get it out there. Find, you know, use them to their best of their abilities. And then behind those guys, uh, you know, you've got John Jackson the third and the three freshmen. Um, Makai Lemon, Jacoby Lane, and then I mentioned Branch. So there you go. All right, Eric, who's your wide receivers? Yeah, I got four, right? I got four frontline guys, two inside, two outside. The outside guys are are Singer, like Mark mentioned, and and Brendan Rice on the outside. Singer played some in the slot. That one-handed touchdown catch he had against against USC early, that came like slot fade, you know, down the sideline there. But he did so much damage. When Jordan Addison came over, a ton of his damage at Pitt was out of the slot. Dorian Singer is a guy that you can just line up outside and have him go down down the sideline. He's so good on the deep ball and tracking and, and making catches and coverage. I think I think better than Addison. I think, I think Jordan Addison's a better wide receiver overall. But Singer, in terms of that, if you're asking him to, to make catches downfield against coverage, I, I think he's a step up. Uh, and then inside Taj Washington, I don't think – got enough credit last year for what he did in kind of all aspects of it. There, there was a, a drop very, very seldom, but the, the blocking lining up in the backfield, doing everything he did, the players, when they talked about him, it was always like, you guys don't see the stuff that he does that he brings. And that always stuck out 
to me. And then Mario Williams, I, th I think is, is that the fourth guy again, if you're going for um, right there, Zachariah branch, I think by the end of spring, I think it's that quick that he is your next guy up um, right there. I, I think we've seen flashes from Kyron Hudson. Uh, I think he's a guy who could contribute. And then, you, you know, you mentioned the depth and it'll be interesting to see which guys can go outside. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a ton of those big, tall outside guys. Kyle Ford seemed like he would be maybe a guy who could, who could pretty quickly, you know, push for significant time early in the year, but to lose him and CJ Williams, another guy that, that you figured could line up outside and, and give you some help there. Um, you know, the Michael Jackson, the thirds, the John Jackson, the thirds, those guys are, are more feels like more, uh, inside guys probably although michael jackson did some damage on the outside too um with some screen passes but yeah those those front four i think are really good gonna be interesting to see makai lemon this spring because i think there's so much talk about how good zachariah branch is and how much of an impact he can make makai lemon is really good he is a really really good wide receiver it wouldn't surprise me if he is one of those backup guys that that makes an impact um, by the time that that fall depth chart rolls around. Yeah, I tell you what, I I kind of side with you there, uh, Eric. I see Mario Williams, Dorian Singer, uh, Brendan Rice, and Taj Washington. I think uh, they all uh, could be very good. Again, it depends on the consistency with like Brendan Rice, and I also think Mario Williams too. Uh, he had a few drops in, that were like, uh, how did he do that? Uh, but it's a new season. Uh, he's got his feet wet, of course. He knows the offense like the back of his hand. Uh, backups, I see Michael Jackson the third. I think he's really good. Uh, Zachariah Branch, I think he's in the mix without question. Uh, and uh, obviously a special teams guy, punt returner. Uh, Makai Lemon. Uh, I think he's really, really good. Uh, I don't know whether he'll get as much time as he would like. Uh, and then for a depth, I mean, it's almost embarrassing to say it, as for depth, John Jackson III, who's really done nothing wrong. Uh, it's a numbers game, quality game. Uh, I hope he gets some uh, more playing time. He's a great kid, great family. Uh, but uh, I think that... Uh, Receiver-wise, uh, coming out of the spring, it's Williams, Singer, Rice, and Washington for me. All right, let's get to halftime. As mentioned in the pregame portion of the huddle, the Tommy Group, a new third-party NIL collective for USC athletes, was announced last week, headed by six USC alumni, former athletes, and involved fans. And again, as we mentioned before, uh, co-founded by Keyshawn Johnson. So, uh, panel... How do you see the Tommy group seceding where other options didn't? And uh, should we say uh, we're not endorsed, I guess, by the USC athletic department. Uh, and uh, why did the Boulevard fail? Uh, Eric, we'll start off with you. What's your overall take on this? Well, there's a couple things there. So I, I think that the re when, when you're comparing the Tommy group to student body, right. What you mentioned was, yeah, the Tommy group is, a, is allowed to get out of the gate, right? USC is not fighting it. And so the, the fact that they're able to kind of operate in this space and USC is not pushing back against it, that certainly lets them get going. I don't know, you know, Boulevard, 
I, I don't know if it failed in this. So here's what I'll say. Boulevard failed when you compare it to what other schools NIL groups did, which is launch tons of money at recruits and players. Boulevard was set up and they were very clear about this. What we're going to do is facilitate NIL opportunities for these players. Now, what we're finding out as this thing kind of goes is the NIL opportunities that the Oregons, the Miamis, the Texas A&Ms, those, those aren't long lived. Like that's not where this is going. Where this thing is going is smaller deals for fewer players. And, and that's what it is. And that's kind of where Boulevard hung out. That's, that's what they were able to do. That's going to get sort of a, a change rebrand and, and we'll see how that goes. But Back to the Tommy group, where I see this succeeding, where Boulevard didn't, was that the Tommy group is already sort of entrenched in this marketing business world. The connections are there. It never really, Boulevard had a couple USC things. Fletcher Jones was a, a kind of a big deal early. They got scooters for the guys, but Caleb Williams bringing in Beats was the biggest, you know, one of the biggest deals um, that kind of USC was able to promote and that was that was him that was Caleb Williams doing that I mean almost all the biggest deals have been just Caleb Williams kind of by himself what he's able to do uh so the fact that this group I think has a, a bigger reach a bigger reach more sort of brand awareness and all of that that's going to be more helpful to the players and they're already working with you know you you mentioned 80 players Lincoln Riley's kind of in their corner. USC is fine with them operating because they don't see it as a, you know, competing for the same dollars uh, as when USC's collective and, and group is going to to get going. So I, I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing is that that group is already sort of operating in the space and, and the connections, I think, are, are more significant. Mark, I know you've written on this, if I remember correctly. Uh, what's your overall take on this uh, Tommy group? So this is strictly business. And they're basically they're keeping it in family. And that's why USC is so good with the Tommy group. It's the familiarity. They know these people. Um, so they don't mind these six influential people among this group to uh, try and make money on their own. This is strictly business opportunities. You've got the, uh, you know, you'll call them the, the Brian Kennedys of the world out there who say, all right, you know what, how can I make some money at the same time while giving these young men, these young student athletes an opportunity to make some money? So, and I heard of one of the stories that, um, you know, the whole team was there, Lincoln Riley, they, they were treated well. And one, in one player in particular, he made sure that he knew which one of the people there were the most influential. He was collecting business cards. That was his goal. So um, this is going to be, this is going to work out well. So Eric talked about it at the very beginning. This is, um, you're not going to, you're not going to hear about players getting, Oh, I got a six figure deal and it's going to over so many years is how much, how much I'm going to make. You're going to be introduced to, a John Terzian or a Fletcher Jones, somebody who's going to put you in touch with somebody for a business opportunity. It's, it's as simple as that. This is what NIL is all about. 
And other schools, other programs are gonna follow this model because uh, they're gonna find out they're gonna go broke real fast, handing out big bags of cash to high school players that haven't done diddly squat yet, especially when they transfer a year later. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. Um, I think they emphasized, uh, if I'm correct here, that they were not going to approach any any recruits on this, the Tommy group that is, until they're signed. And it's and that that aspect, not sorry to jump in, but that aspect is interesting because uh, that one of the 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 H Wood group, right? There there was a big story. Malachi Nelson signed a deal with them to promote slab right slab barbecue, and and so. Good stuff. I, I don't think it's that black and white. What I do think they meant by that quote was we're not just going to go after a USC recruit because they're a USC recruit. Like Malachi Nelson brings sort of cachet and, and a name. I, I think that they can still go after those guys in, in any state where that's legal for those high school players to, to do that. So but but I think that is the point. Right. We're, we're not recruiting for USC. We're not making a point if USC wants some defensive lineman from Texas that we don't know and, and has no value in Southern California for us, we're not just going to go sign them to a deal, which again, I, I think is, that's, that's this thing you talked about. These are, these are businessmen. They're going to make decisions based on what helps you, what helps me. And, and yeah, they're going to lean, they're going to lean towards USC on all that stuff. Like they know that, that they're there to help USC athletics. Um, so that, I think, I think that's a key uh, point for that. Yeah, I think the working relationship with Keyshawn Johnson and Terzian and people that went to USC, uh, they were willing to work together. Uh, I think initially when student body right uh, that did not pan out, had a bunch of people, a bunch of names, you probably read about, a little bit about it, uh, those of you that are watching or listening on the podcast, you know, they uh, basically were saying, uh, you know, we, we're going to pay players, every player is going to get a a base salary, which was a little bit of an eyebrow raiser. Uh, obviously, I think uh, USC and Mike Bone in particular was a little wary of that, and they kind of got into an adversarial situation. But here you got former players involved. It, it just seems like a good mix. And uh, I think it's just the evolution of where they're at. I, I have read uh, that uh, there are more and more of these NILs that are not coming through with the promises that they said they would with for other universities that were, let's say, going after players, recruits and giving them promises and they just weren't living up to it. And uh, credibility is everything because eventually all this is gonna come out and players are gonna talk amongst themselves and they're gonna, they're gonna look for the best uh, solid foundation to, to point them in whatever direction they wanna go. So. It'll be interesting to watch how this evolves. So well, you also had, I mean, some of these schools had three, four, five third party collectives going out and who's, who's speaking for them. And they're saying, yeah, we're here for, we're here from Texas or we're here from Florida or whatever school it was, we want to offer you this. And then the school's trying to figure out like, who's, who's talking to these recruits, who are these groups? And I think that's why it was so important for USC to be organized and why it was so important for the Tommy group to kind of right it took it feels like it took so long for usc to do this but getting those eyes dotted and t's crossed and everyone on the same page and 
look, you, you know, if you're going to do this, you're in a way speaking for USC, right? Like if you want to sign this kid who's a USC student athlete, it all kind of works together. And so you had to make sure that you didn't have these groups like you, like you just talked about saying, yeah, hey, you want to come to this school, we'll give you $500,000. And then they get there and it's like, oh, sorry, we're, you know, we're, we're not good for it. And now the school looks horrible because of that. And so I, I do think USC took a lot of heat, right, online and, and from people talking about this. But I think ultimately they are going to be proven right by where this is going and, and the direction of NIL as a whole throughout the landscape. I think what's fascinating to me is if a player does transfer, does that immediately cancel out any contracts, if you will, that they signed with with people? It's got to be in there, right? I mean, if if there's if it's not in there and it just says we're going to pay you this much and there's nothing, there's no get out or anything like that, then yeah, it's it's going to be what the contract says. Yeah, so well, I think you, you know, you, you had some kids signing some pretty crazy stuff early on and some school, some collectives that didn't really know what they were doing. They just thought, let's give some some guys money. And and it it, it really was kind of the Wild West for a while. And I, and I think everyone's trying to to get a hold on it. I mean, do you want players to say, I'll take the money and run? I got mine. Okay, that was a nice year at Texas A&M. I got my money. Now let me move on to something else and see where I can get there. Uh, I would be shocked if they don't have something in this in the signage of a, a contract or something. That if, you, if you change schools, the contract is null and void. Yeah, I can't imagine if Malachi Nelson ever transferred why slap barbecue and the H-Wood group would say, yeah, stick around. You're in Clemson, but... I'm sure we'll open up an operation out there someday. And again, I'm sure some of them had everything buttoned up and and really professionally done and it worked really well. And I'm sure some of them were just kind of trying to rush into it and see their pants and, and didn't get anything sort of locked up. And, and you're seeing a little bit of, of how that works out. I'd love to talk to Jaden Rashada just off the record. Oh, yeah. What the hell went on, went on there? Wasn't that a third? Wasn't that a thirteen million they were talking about? Like I said, I'd love for it to be off the record, just so I knew the particulars. Because he, <laughs> he's not making that much now, not at ASU. No, I wouldn't think he would be making that. But uh, that was an interesting choice on his part. So, with that, let's kick off Tuesday's second half of Inside the Trojans Huddle, continuing with the offense. Let's look at the tight end situation again to give me your post spring depth chart and your overall justification for the ranking. So Eric started us off there with starter backup depth, however you want to handle it. Yeah, I I think Lake McCree is is going to be the top guy for me, but I'm really interested to see if Jude, if Jude Wolf is all the way back. Like this was a guy that had that sort of H back spot seemingly locked up. There was, there was a lot of talk about kind of how well he was doing last spring. And, and that's a key spot for Lincoln Riley's offense. And then for him to have the injury and, and never really make it back. Uh, I think, I think that was, that hurt that, that hurt the offense. I think what it wanted to do. I, I mean, it's silly to say something hurt the offense, right? They, that <laughs> offense was, was okay. I think with, without him, we but didn't see the full offense. It, the, there's stuff that there's stuff Lincoln Riley likes to do with an H back that can do everything that I think Jude Wolf really, really could do. So I, I like those two. And then Malcolm X, Malcolm Epps gives you a, a, a nice kind of backup guy there that can do some different things, but I see him, probably as as the third guy again it's it's always depending on on Jude Wolf's health right that, that's been something that he 
has struggled with a little bit uh, in his time there. And it sounds it sounds crazy to say, could you imagine us saying this right now? But USC's got to figure out how to replace Josh Follow like that. You know, a year ago, if we're saying that, that sounds a little bit crazy just because he was sort of lost and, and forgotten a little bit because of his injuries. But he really came on and did did a lot. The reception numbers weren't crazy, but he took a ton of snaps. He turned into a great blocker. He turned into a real asset uh on, on that team last year and so sc's gotta gotta replace him i it's it's uh i i don't believe kate eldridge is, is coming in the spring for some reason now i'm i'm blanking on it but I, I didn't have him as a guy but he's a guy that i'm interested to watch kind of his development in the fall and and as we go along i thought that lincoln riley last year could take that spot that h-back spot and go across the country and say yeah that's my guy i want to bring him in didn't didn't end up doing that so Cade's kind of the first recruit that he went out to to bring in for that spot but i lake mccree's a guy that that i've always liked the toughness the ability to hang on to the ball catch the ball do do all the stuff that that you want a tight end to do Mark, are you comfortable with the tight end situation? And uh, how do you see the postseason depth chart? Again, for those, uh, as a reminder, we're only uh, taking players that we anticipate will be uh, playing, participating in spring ball. And uh, Kate Eldridge is someone, in my understanding, he's going to be coming in for the fall August camp. But uh, your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, no, there's not a whole lot to disagree with what, just, with Eric, with what Eric just said. Um, I like Lake McCree's athleticism. I mean, anytime you're seeing your tight end slash H back hurdling guys along the sideline, um, that's an impressive thing. And I think he's probably just going to take the next step in his maturation process and get better. But Jude Wolf was, you know, the guy before his foot injury. And so the competition there is going to be interesting. Um, they like to do dual tight end sets. Uh, by the way, what happened to Malcolm Epps at the second half of the season? I don't remember him being hurt. I just remember him not being on the field or at least doing anything for me to remember him being on the field. And then I have, you know, Ethan Ray's still on the squad, right? But I think I have the guy that Eric's looking for. And I would love for this to happen because USC has been killed by the tight end. There's a guy on that roster that looks like a Utah tight end. His name's Sean Mahoney. Let him be that dude that Eric was talking about to replace Josh Follow. Unleash that guy. He looks like an NFL tight end. I mean, he's big, tall, and he's physical. And if he can, you know, block at the line of scrimmage and then maybe leak out and collect an eight, 10 yard pass and rumble up the seam and break tackles, sign me up. Well, I think it's uh, interesting, uh, especially on Malcolm Epps. I, I've talked to a lot of people, and they echo uh, what you said, Mark. You know, what happened to him? What happened to him? Now, obviously, we're not in practice to watch how he practices or what he does. Uh, we don't know about his academics. We're not inferring any that there's an issue there. But for some reason, he seemed not to play as more of a bigger role than he did. He's certainly big enough, uh, and they threw to him a couple of times, I think, in the end zone. It just didn't uh, complete the pass. But I think the wild card here really is Jude Wolf. Uh, if he has recovered from that foot injury, uh, he could be a serious challenger to start. 
I want to see if May, Lake McCree has put on more weight, has gotten more physical, but I would go along with uh, on a post uh, 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 spring practice depth chart. I, I would go with Lake McCree, but it would not shock me if Jude Wolf, if he's healthy, uh, took that spot uh, at the end of spring. All right, now to the big question of the offensive side, in my humble opinion. Let's turn to the offensive line. Obviously, the offensive line has got some restocking to do. There's been a lot of movement uh, in a lot of areas, player positioning, uh, eligibility for spring, uh, a lot going on there. So, Eric, uh, who's going to be your starters coming out of spring, backups, depth, et cetera? Uh, we should make note of one thing. Uh, Ethan White is not expected to participate in spring ball. Uh, I don't know if he's enrolled at this time. I know they're, I guess they're looking to get a spot for him uh, because they just don't have a spot on the roster at this moment. But if uh, Eric, have you got any more updated information on that? Let us know. So you got the field, go ahead and name your starters and backups. Well, the, the Ethan White situation, and, and Lincoln Riley alluded to this uh, when he spoke to, to media this offseason, where he said that it's just kind of a, a rule where when you lose guys, when, when if you lose a player at the end of a semester and they, they enroll somewhere else, right, if they transfer and enroll somewhere else, or if they graduate, then you can replace them. But if they don't, then you don't get kind of the the initial counter spot to be able to bring somebody in and it, it seems like Ethan White got caught up uh, a little bit in that so again saying that at the end of spring I still think he's your your left guard starter <laughs> so I, I'm not gonna list him because I know you talked about uh just guys who participated so we'll start at left tackle and honestly immediately I, I've got kind of a question or at least something to definitely keep in mind Jarrett Kingston came down from Washington State clearly to play left tackle at USC. Now, he's a guy who has also played guard and can give you kind of some positional versatility. He's also a guy that missed the last chunk of the season with a season-ending injury. And so where is he in that process? Is he full go at the start of spring? Uh, if he is and can play I, I'm going to go ahead and, and pencil him in at left tackle. The fact that Ethan White's not there, though, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being at, at left guard for a little bit and Cortland Ford can can run a little bit at left tackle. So that's kind of an interesting to thing to watch for me. But I'll say that Kingston is left tackle. I'll say that Gino Quinones stays at, at left guard. He played there. A little bit last year, Justin Dietrich, I think, is going to be obviously the center as he comes back. Right guard, right tackle. I I think Jonah Monheim slides into right guard, and then Michael Tarquin, the transfer from Florida, takes over that right tackle spot. That's interesting too, I think, because you've got Mason Murphy Murphy there who could uh, play one of those spots. He he's kind of my question. Does he get some run at guard and move inside and, and give you kind of some versatility there? Um, that that's kind of the, the depth thing that I'd like to see. He also could just land right behind um, Michael Tarquin at, at right tackle. 
for me too. So, and then Elijah Page is a guy to watch. He's he's maybe outside of Zachariah Branch, who's going to give you time and snaps and and stats this fall. Elijah Page, in terms of development, that early enrollee, true freshman, potentially your left tackle of the future as you go along, how he sort of fits in and, and what he looks like this spring, I think is going to be interesting to me. All right, Mark Culkin, what's your thoughts on the offensive line? All right. So, um, and this is, again, just coming out of spring camp, and I'll explain why. So, left tackle, I got Cortland Ford. Um, I know that he won't be able to participate in spring camp, but I'm putting Ethan White at left guard. And then I've got Justin Dietrich at center, Jonah Monheim right guard, Michael Tarquin will be the right tackle backups. Left to right, Jarrett Kingston, Gino, Andrew Malek, Andres DeWork, Mason Murphy. Behind them, everyone else, I don't think it really matters. Um, now, why I've got Cortland Ford starting? He started last year. Um, and there's some roster management that has to be done here. I think he's going to earn that spot. But it... I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I find it interesting. If he is not the starter coming out of spring camp, he might jump into that category of Miller with Miller Moss. I want the reps. Do I stick around? Am I going to allow another transfer to come in and, and jockey me out of the position when I'm doing everything I think I'm supposed to be doing? So that's why I'm saying coming out of spring camp, that's the way it's going to be. Whether or not that's enough of an enticement to convince Cortland that he's earned that left tackle spot. That's where I'm coming from. All right. Well, I tell you what, I, I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench in here uh, just for the sake of a monkey wrench. I'm going to say that coming out of spring ball, the left tackle will be Jared Kingston. If Ethan White had participated, I would have put him in at left guard, but he isn't. So I'm going to roll the dice and say Cortland Ford at left guard. Uh, center, Justin Dietrich, right guard, uh, Jonah Monheim, right tackle, Michael Tarquin. Uh, I thought about Gino Quinones moving up, but I, I'm just intrigued by Cortland Ford's possibility that that would give him two positions he could play. I think he has played some uh, left guard at uh, particular points of time. Uh, I also am big on uh, Elijah Page. Uh, I think that uh, down the road he could see time, but he's a backup right now. Kind of an intriguing backup is Cooper Lovelace. There was so much made of him. Uh, it'd be interesting to see where he's going. Uh, as far as, quote, down the line depth, uh, uh, the three freshmen, Michael Benuelos, Amos Talalele, and uh, Alani Noah, uh, will work their way up. I'm intrigued by Benuelos simply because I think they want him to be the center of the future. Uh, we'll see how fast they can move him along. So maybe he'll fit into that. But uh, again, uh, so much depends on Ethan White uh, in, in fall camp. And it depends on Cortland Ford and how he sees where he's going. I'm not anticipating that he's going to leave. Eric, but, what were your, I'm sorry, Greg. I didn't, no, hear, right it. I didn't right hear Eric's submissions. What were they? Uh, 
I had I had a lot of what Greg had. So I thought that uh, Kingston would be at left tackle, but I'm also really interested. What what I mentioned was uh, Corlin Ford at left tackle, and Kingston has certainly played guard before. And so if if you need him to play left guard, I think that that would be an interesting thing. I think you've got. With Mason Murphy's ability to obviously play left tackle and right tackle, I think you do have. I think I think you're pretty well set at tackle because Jonah Monheim can do that too. So you've got you got a bunch of tackles, and so I think you have a lot of guys who can move around for you. Thank you. I, I think one thing I'm I'm kind of curious about uh, coming out of uh, spring ball is just how physical this offensive line can be. I, I'm I'm intrigued by uh, the two Florida guys. Tarquin and White, uh, having already played in the SEC and having been there, and how physical it is, uh, they're gonna they're gonna bring an element. I, I have to think that uh, is gonna elevate the physicality of uh, this particular USC offensive line. So, all right, that was a good Florida line too. I mean that that was not a terrible Florida offensive line. Like you're getting two We're all starters. I, I know I know Tarquin was kind of part-time starter had some injury stuff but those are two starters from from a line that put up some good numbers good stats I mean this is not like oh we need to find a place for this guy and and so we'll go get him this was uh these are three big additions three three big transfer portal additions on the line and and this is going to be important to me when they in the second half of the season when SC plays uh the more physical teams beginning with Utah especially defensively I know Kyle Whittingham thinks this could be his most physical and best defensive line he's had since he's been the head coach at Utah. So this arrival of these uh, former uh, Florida Gators uh, may be coming at the at the right time. Mark, did you want to say something? No. Nope. I, okay. I think I covered it. Thank you. All right. Uh, let's move on here and get to uh, a item, which I put on the offensive side of the ball, which is special teams, uh, which we're going to include as punting. And place kicking. We'll start off with punting. Uh, I think this is kind of a no-brainer, but Eric, tell us what you see here as starters, backups, depth. Who's yeah, gonna I mean, USC up? went out and got the first team all Pac-12 punter from Arizona State in, in Eddie Zablicki. So he's coming in to be the punter. And I I assume we'll handle kickoffs too. He did that. And, and it, it was interesting how bluntly Lincoln Riley said we got to have more touchbacks we're covering way too many kicks and and he did he called for a couple short ones against UCLA right he, he was the guy that, that did that so um but for him to just say no we we need in the end zone we need touchbacks uh he he's a guy that can do that so I think I think pretty easily he comes in and and grabs those two spots and then at this point, Agensley Dalton still on the roster and, and would be your number two. Um, they got a bunch of bunch of punters though. Will Rose is, is a walk on, and Michael McAllister a, a walk on still there. So uh, your your punting depth is is there in terms of numbers. Mark, how are we looking there? At starting punter in the backups. Oh, Eric, say his last name again. Eddie. Well, I'm going to, you know, now that you mentioned that, I realized that I did not look up anywhere or, or talk to him about it. But I you said I, it wrong. I just want to. It's got to be Chuck, right? Chaplicky or Zaplicky uh, and, and how it's how it's written. Eddie the kicker. 
Um, when he gets a practice in, we'll know it. And then, then we go from there. Yes. So I'm going, yeah, I'm with Eric. It's going to be Eddie Hunter, Eddie, the kicker. Uh, maybe they allow um, the most fashionable guy on the, on the roster to, to do PATs. But after that, yeah, it's, um, it's Eddie, the kicker, Eddie, the punter. Eddie's a plicky until further. Who knows? Uh, we'll know soon enough. I, okay, I'm going with you guys. Uh, I think it's uh, going to be Eddie C there. Uh, it's a no-brainer. You don't bring in the all-Pac-12 punter and let him try to uh, work his way up the depth chart. He's going he's gonna to be there. Uh, let's turn our attention now to uh, field goal kicking. Uh, Eric, who's, who, who's going to be the starter? Let's put it that way. And who's going to be the backup? I think it's Dennis Lynch again. I, I think it's going to be him. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley at no point, even though the, the numbers are are not great, right? Like the, the numbers from inside 40 and overall, like the, it doesn't strike you as, yeah, he's got to be the guy. But Lincoln Riley has been pretty, pretty blunt and short about a lot of different positions. But that's one where he's kind of said, yeah, we like we like what he's given us. He made some big kicks, missed some that he, that he maybe should have made, but he's made some others uh garth white to me is kind of an interesting guy he came in and was was hurt early and we never really saw him do anything but he came in uh as a guy who could handle field goals and punt um said you know he'd kind of figure out which one or or even if they wanted him to work on both while he was at usc so uh he's a guy to watch for me but no with stat with alex Stathouse out dennis lynch is is pretty much the guy there for for field goals now for spring uh, explain to those who hadn't uh, heard, uh, Alex Stadhouse is not going to be in spring. He graduated. Alex Stadhouse? Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's gone. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure some people. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, so that was, I mean, Dennis Lynch, right, Mark? Like of all the position battles last year, the one at the beginning when it was announced that everyone was like, what? I mean, that, that was the one for, for Alex Stadhouse to not get the, the field goal kicking job was for me the, and, and by quite a wide margin, the biggest surprise of, of that initial depth chart when we saw it. And then Lynch held on to it for, for the whole year. And, and it was because Lincoln Riley said he was the hardest working guy he's ever seen on special teams. That he came up a lot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I mean, how many kicks is the guy doing on his own when no one's looking? Um, but you know, like, yeah, look, he's probably going to be your starting place kicker uh, until Lincoln Riley says, you know what? I can't have you missing those 35, 37, 38 yarders. So until Lincoln Riley is ready to set aside the guy's working hard, um, and put in the guy who's going to get it done, Jenna Flinch, and then Eddie, the kicker. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree with you guys. Uh, you know, there's one thing you can't accomplish, I think, in spring ball too much is uh, field goal kicking. First of all, you already know what Dennis Lynch did last year, and he did miss some, I thought, were very makeable field goal attempts. And this schedule, with the expectations, uh, is going to be a big mental game for Dennis Lynch. He's going to have to – he's going to play a part in some some big games. You can mark my word on this one. He's going to be, if not a difference maker, a difference uh, contributor one way or the other. Uh, and you just don't know that till they're actually in a game and the pressure's on and the national 
TV cameras are there. So as at the end of spring ball, it's going to be Dennis Lynch, in my opinion. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, overtime. Uh, we have some questions here from uh, viewers. Uh, a comment. We'll start off with question one from devoted uh, follower of Inside the Trojans Huddle uh, from Romy in Huntington Beach, California, who says it's also known as Surf City. Uh, does it look like the Pac-12 will be the Pac-10 next year? I think he was referring to 2024. You could almost call it the Pac-North. What do you, what do you think, guys? Where, where are we going with the Pac-12 or 10? Where are they going to be a, a year from now? Who's going to be in? Who's not going to be in? What's the deal? Uh, the, 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 everyone's hinting, or at least Kleokov's been spotted in Dallas trying to bring SMU along. San Diego State's another strong option to keep a Southern California market presence on TV. Um, I, I don't think it matters. I think somebody needs to just stick this conference in hospice and and let it have its slow dying death because they're not going to be able to compete financially. If you don't have a TV deal by now, it's because you don't have what the TV networks want. Bottom line. To answer the question, though, it sh it sure seems like it for 2024. Like that, that would be really quickly. That would be a really quick turnaround. You you mentioned SMU, San Diego State, which look like the two most likely options to come in. To get to get that done by not you know not this coming year, but the year after. I mean, that's light speed for this kind of stuff, which can take forever, and you gotta sort of lock that in before you even get to i mean the the tv networks and maybe it's you know now it's tv streaming entities they want to know what they're buying right so you've got you've got to bring those teams in before you even get to that and so there's all this stuff you've got to do kind of in order so yeah at this point yeah it looks like it looks like the pac-10 for 2024 unless there's just monumental changes i think between now and then I think the Pac-12, Larry Scott left it in uh, dire straits, and that's a positive way of looking at it. And uh, Klyavkov is the worst nightmare, SC and UCLA leave, everybody's scrambling, contracts, everything. I, I don't even know if there's going to be a Pac-12 as we know it. Uh, maybe the Mountain West will evolve into the Pac-12. I don't know. But... Uh, it's sad, actually, as a traditionalist of the West Coast football. You're uh, seeing effects. I mean, Ohio State is buying off Washington like they're a UC Davis. It, it's, it's done. I mean, how is, how are these teams going to be able to schedule out of conference going forward, Greg? You're going to want to schedule Weber State every other year? That's... Um... I think it speaks for itself. Rhetorical question. All right, let's go on to, uh, from Mike Ditlin, I guess from Stewart's Draft, Virginia. He says, the players USC are bringing in for the 2023 through the incoming freshman class and the portal appear to be a significant upgrade to me over last year. How likely is it that although our roster may be improved, we could easily be facing another three-loss season due to the brutal second half of the schedule. Thoughts? Yeah. 
Yes. I mean, first of all, significant upgrade. We're talking about Caleb Williams last year, right? Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, like that, there was some talent that came in last year, but I do under, I understand the question, like overall the transfers and, and the freshman class, certainly, I think there, what, there were eight high school kids in the 2022 freshman class. So um, a ton more talent there, but that that second half of the schedule is is brutal. The the late trip to Oregon, back to backs with Washington, back to back Notre Dame, Utah, UCLA is going to be better. I mean, not a three a three loss season could be really good depending on sort of what happens and, and how good those teams are. Uh, you might be playing five top fifteen teams. I mean, when when you get around to it, and and if those teams all kind of hold themselves up through the first half of the season. Um, I think the idea that USC is going to skate to a one loss season or anything like that is, is kind of crazy to me. Now they could, they could win all those games. You could win a bunch of close games and be fine. And they have the talent, I think, to do that because you still have to kind of keep in mind someone else is coming, right? Someone else, offense, defense, whatever it is, like SC can still go get a couple guys in the transfer portal when that opens again and, and new players go in. So the talent might still be improved as you go along, but, but it's as, it's as tough a schedule as I certainly in the last handful of years and, and probably going back to, to before that um, we talk about how the PAC 12 is dying and like this, this last year, it, it's pretty good. <laughs> going to go out fighting. Yeah. Well, I, I contended uh, since the end of last season that SC could be a better team, which I think they will be next season, but they might not have as good a record because they're playing a really difficult schedule. It's the sequence of games. I think the happiest person in the second half of the season to face USC will probably be uh, Justin Wilcox at Cal. He's got it so that uh, SC is playing, I believe, Utah before they play Cal. And then SC's playing Washington after they play Cal. Uh, he's sandwiched in there, and uh, the game's being played at Cal. I'm not going to predict that they're going to beat SC because they don't think they're going to. But if you had to be caught in between, a, in a you know, like a, a piece of ham in between the two pieces of bread, that's the best case scenario. I I think the fact that Utah's at home and the Collie, uh, Washington's in the Collie, you got to like SC's chances as you look at each game individually. Um, from a national standpoint, uh, going to Notre Dame will be no cakewalk, okay? Uh, I assume you could lose a game at Notre Dame if you win the rest of your games, which I think will be challenging. Uh, but this is really, uh, you know, the old saying, one step at a time or one game at a time. I think SC will probably be undefeated, in my opinion, by the time uh, Utah arrives. Uh, if the, somehow Arizona doesn't uh, uh, come out of nowhere and, and knock them off in the Coliseum, which I don't think will happen, but it'll be it could be a tough game. So, but uh, USC's schedule last year was right as as easy as they could have made it if they had sort of handpicked it themselves based on who they played when and all that. They, they had one game, right? One regular season game last year, going to Salt Lake City at that time, that in, in that atmosphere, right? That's the game. 
there's there's what five and six weeks five and seven weeks for them th this year like it's it, the the schedule difference in back-to-back -back years is is crazy i mean how, how much more difficult this one is compared to last year it's it's literally like they open the season with three buys because they actually get a buy in the third week and the first two games are just pathetic um and then you if you get through that nine week gauntlet you get a bye week if you're fortunate enough to make it to the to the conference championship game so they will it's not a gift as some people like to have you know characterize it they'll have earned it mm -hmm. big time all right, question three from Trojan Mike in Dallas, Texas. This is more of a comment. Uh, says, hi, Greg. Don't mean to make you feel old. Just realized some members of the panel were not even born or rats were just babies with the 60s stuff. Uh, well, I, I have to say from a personal standpoint, uh, my panelists are great guys. They're very nice. Uh, and... Uh, I probably in their eyes might as well be their father or grandpa, one or the other. But uh, he also adds regarding the SC UCLA 67 game of the century, two forgotten heroes whom with their great contributions, the Trojans likely lose the game. My fellow Birmingham Braves alum 6A Bill Hale, who I believe twice blocked or impacted Zene and Andrews additions, two field goal attempts and one PAT after the Bruins last TD, making the score 2014 before OJ's famous TD run in the fourth quarter, uh, and some recognition for Pat Cashman, who was a defensive back, who intercepted a beep and pass for the Trojans' first score, tying the game at 7-7. So little memory there for Trojan Mike. And yes, the reason uh, I feel old is because I am old. All right, question four from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. If the Pac-12 were ultimately dissolved and its remaining members be absorbed by lesser conferences, do you see this as a long-term win for USC in recruiting over schools like Oregon and others that consistently pluck some prospects away from USC in the Southern California region? Thoughts? Yes. Go ahead, Eric. You can elaborate. I, I think it. I think it depends. I think it depends. So, Oregon clearly is going to spend money, right? They they enjoy having a football program. They are going to spend money on facilities they are going to get the attention of recruits they are going to get the attention of transfers if as long as they have sort of nike money and connections and all of that they're going to recruit well i think what's interesting to watch with all of that is with the expanded playoff if again you're talking about the pac-12 dissolving and all of those schools landing in in lesser conferences not the big 10 or or one of the power conferences it depends if whatever conference they land in ends up with an automatic bid to the playoff. If a school like Oregon drops down a conference, spends the way it can, because we, we talk about, you talk about they're not going to be able to keep up financially. The Pac-12 absolutely is not going to be able to keep up financially. If certain schools get that boost from boosters and, and from money coming in specifically to the football program in building the roster and maintaining the roster and they're in a lesser conference that they can win and get an automatic berth into the playoff and make noise nationally there i i see that as a, a pretty good situation to be in if you're oregon and able to go out and get players still 
it's not going to be every school, right? All, all those Pac-12 schools, because a lot of them come in and, and recruit California and do well there. But that's what I see as, as maybe if you're not going to get to the Big Ten or not going to go to the, uh, the Big 12 and it becomes a, a big conference too, um, I can still see that as being an okay place to land if you're like Oregon and you do have a bunch of people and and significant donors at the very top contributing lots of money to to your football program. So when they expand to 12 teams, is it an auto guarantee for every conference champion? I don't think they've announced any kind of how how they're going to do that. That was the caveat there. I mean, yeah, or oh, yeah, yes, yes, yes. No, that that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of ifs and and maybes and whatever in all of that. But if you are in a conference that you can dominate for 10, 15 years or forever, and you end up in the playoff every single year, that's that's not a terrible spot to be when the floor has been ripped out from underneath you and it feels like you're plummeting while, while your conference is falling apart. So my answer is the clip notes version. The opposite of what Eric said, yes, USC will benefit if Oregon ends up in a lesser conference and they don't have an auto bid. Um, yeah, there's no reason to go get money and you know play Wyoming every year. And I will add that I don't see Oregon accepting the idea that they're going to a lesser conference, nor do I believe that Washington would want to go to, quote, a lesser conference. I think they see themselves, which they should, as big time schools, uh, I think the playoffs uh, will play a part in it, but I would see a serious bid by somebody at one of the major conferences going after Oregon and going after Washington and uh, how that would affect USC recruiting wise, that kind of a big impact. I don't know, think that SC wants to be in the same conference as Oregon or Washington if they can help it and share part of Southern California anymore, but they may have no choice, but uh, it will be interesting to follow. Uh, all right, we'll wrap this up. Question five from Thomas in Cajon, California. Guys, do you anticipate seeing any surprises for the opening of spring practice like players missing that you were still thought were on the team? Any inside information or guests? No, I'd be surprised if Gary Bryant participates in spring camp. That's about it. There's, I mean, there's always a surprise. Yeah, yes, I anticipate seeing it. I, I'm not going to, you know, toss out a guess on on what it might be, but we've talked about kind of the numbers crunch and how you need to get down to, you know, you need to be at 85. And there's guys in the transfer portal that are doing workouts and are they there and and not? Yeah, so I I, I would anticipate seeing a surprise. Caleb Williams will be on the roster. I mean, you're, you know, guys like that, as, as long as you're okay um, at certain spots with certain guys, I, I think you're good going forward. But uh, no, I, I think, I think most times there's, there's something, some, some kind of surprise. Sure. Well, I don't know what this prize will be, but there may be a surprise who knows. And that could have an uh, impact on uh, kind of a dominoes theory, so. I don't think it'll be, right? I don't think it's gonna be some massive name. They're not gonna be missing three offensive linemen and and starting linebackers or anything like that. But the Eric Gentry surgery, like that pops up late. And then, you know, I guess 
when when he when the question is you know players missing that were still on the team I, I could see that as like an injury issue keeping a guy out early right last year we thought Xavier Alford would come in and, and certainly look like a, a starting safety for USC and just ended up kind of not really participating in spring all that much and then now off the team so yeah the the injury issues are always kind of something where a guy's not quite ready to go for spring and, and sits out a little bit and, and has sort of an abbreviated spring or, or can't go at all. All right, that'll do it. A reminder again, if you have a question for or comment for our panel, go to either the We Are SC message boards, click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listener questions. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Sometimes we'll take a question and we'll take it for the following week so that everybody gets their opportunity. So with that in mind, that'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle. Next week, we're going to turn to the defensive postseason depth chart after the spring and do our uh, analysis and evaluation. So until next Tuesday, big thank you again to our panelists, Mark Culkin and Eric McKenney. And a special big thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojan Huddle. Have a great week. This is your moderator, Greg Katz, saying to all of you, fight on, everybody.